my goodness, what a week this has been. I don't know how you're feeling at home this morning. Um, I imagine that for many of you, actually, it's going to be difficult to focus. I, as I was preparing this morning to preach this message, was feeling just how difficult it will be, actually, and it was for me, to focus. So, really, when Nelson prays to give us ears, I also um, pray that God would give me clarity of thought as we enter into the Word this morning. I Part of the reason it's, it's tough for me and it's been a hard week is I heard from several colleagues across the line who are just struggling and whose churches are struggling so intensely. The division is coming into the body of Christ. The frenetic nature of things that are going on in the world at large are hitting the church and many are becoming incredibly beleaguered. So I would ask you, just as we begin, um, to, to remember our sisters and brothers across the line and to be in prayer for them. We are continuing in a book study of James, a very brief book, book study, a mini-series. We looked at James chapter 1, 1 through 4 last week. Today we're going to look at James 1, 5 through 8. I'm actually going to read James 1, uh, verse 2 through 8, just to give us some context from last week once again. But beloved, lift up your hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave on the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They are a double-minded person, unstable in all they do. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, wants to give us wisdom so that we can live a flourishing life. The first piece of wisdom that James wanted to give us is that we would learn to, as we looked at last week, cherish our stubbed toes and our broken ones too, which is to say that we would learn to, as Christians, embrace our suffering and embrace our suffering actually with joy. And joy, not because we love suffering for the suffering in and of itself, not because we're sadistic, not because we're masochistic, but Joy because we as Christians can know in the midst of our suffering that God in his providence is doing something to us and in us. Namely, that he's building in us the character of Christ, or as James says in verse 4, that he is leading us through our suffering, is in a crucible, to become mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the first piece of wisdom James gives us. In a world where sometimes when you cannot resist the suffering that's coming your way or alleviate it, to embrace that suffering for the joy of meaning, the pleasure of meaning in it, which is that Christ is using that suffering to form Christ in you to perfect you. The second piece of wisdom that James will give us for a flourishing life, it's a little bit circular, but in essence it's this. James will say, get wisdom. <laughs> if you want to live a flourishing life, then get wisdom. Get Sophia in the Greek. Sophia, or wisdom, in the biblical tradition means basically the insight into 
how reality works, the knowledge of how this world is actually constructed, so that when you are faced with a fork in the road, or many forks in the road, you know which path to go down so that you may experience the greatest degree of flourishing, that you may avoid misery, you might avoid folly, and that you might receive flourishing from God. James says, if we want to live a flourishing life, then we need to get wisdom. And how true is that, right? Sometimes in our life where God has not revealed himself, we need to know which direction to go. And there's a lot standing on it. There's a lot at stake, whether we go to the right or whether we go to the left, whether we go hither or whether we go thither. Many decisions in life are like this, aren't they? You've been faced with them. Should I accept that job that's going to condition my life for the next decade or two decades, or should I not accept that job? You're having a struggle with a friend or with a boss. Should you have that difficult conversation with your boss or with your friend? That could actually jeopardize the relationship, but if you don't have that conversation with your friend or with your boss, the relationship's going to be compromised anyway. We need wisdom. Should we go to college and enter into a master's degree in Michigan for the next three or four years of our life or in South Dakota for the next three or four years of our life? Should we marry or should we remain celibate so that we can better be positioned to serve the kingdom of God, as Paul suggests in 1 Corinthians 7? And if we are deciding to get married, should we marry this person that we're dating, that we're engaged to right now, or should we not marry this person? It's a monumental, one of the biggest decisions, besides your decision for Christ, that somebody can make in their life. Marry or not to marry. Hugely consequential decisions that we need wisdom for. We need to know which path is going to lead us to flourishing. And sometimes it's true, right, that we lack wisdom. We don't know which way to go. And James' solution to this is unbelievably, pointedly, simple. If any of you lacks wisdom, he or she should ask God. Who gives generously? And it will be given to him. There you have it, Christian. This is essentially the message for today. Do you lack wisdom? Do you not know which pathway is going to lead you into the greatest amount of flourishing? Then here's what you need to do. Get down on your knees, fold your hands, close your eyes, tilt your head to heaven, and ask God and your loving Heavenly Father will give you the wisdom that you need in order to know which direction that you should go. That's it. Full stop. That's the essence of the message today. The first and essential duty of the Christian when they need wisdom to know how to flourish in life is to ask God to pray. And God who loves you, God who desires a relationship with you, will give to you what you ask, James says, and give it to you generously, because that's the kind of God he is. He's a God who lives with open hands and wants to live in the sort of relationship with his children, whereas John Calvin once said, he bids us ask him to do for us so that he can do it, so that we can give gratitude and be drawn closer into relationship from that exchange. Do you lack wisdom? Ask God. Do you lack other things? Ask God. This is a bona fide 
theme throughout the pages of Scripture. And it needs to be underlined in a broad way because it sounds a little too good to be true to us, doesn't it? But let me show you some texts. Other texts from James. James 4, 2. You do not receive because you do not ask. Full stop. James 4, 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Are you drawing near to God? James 5, 13 through 15. Is any one among you in trouble? Let them pray and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. James 5, 17 through 18. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain. He prayed again and it rained. And then in the Gospel of John, we see this theme repeatedly like a drummer hitting his drum. John 14, 14, Jesus says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. John 15, 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15, 16, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John 16, 23, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. In the first letter of John, John 1 John 3.22, ask of God and you will receive anything from him you ask. Fabulous. 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, he hears us. Oh, good. And by the way, let me give it a counterexample. This isn't only New Testament, this is Old Testament too. Some of you may have read a devotional I wrote about a month ago right now in Joshua chapter 9. Israel is traveling into the promised land. They're already there with Joshua, there to conquer the inhabitants of the land. And then a deceptive group of people called the Gibeonites come along. And they don't want to be conquered by Israel. And so the Gibeonites put on worn, tattered clothes, and they they get moldy bread. And when Israel comes to them with their convoy, they say, Behold, we are but vagabonds traveling through. See, see, here is our moldy bread. See, see, here are our torn clothes. Look, we're just vagabonds. And Israel is scientific in their research. They look at the bread, they look at the tattered clothes, and they go, yes, it must be true. They make a treaty with the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are going to be a thorn in their side for a very long time coming. They failed to inquire of the Lord, the text says, And this is the great error. It wasn't a character flaw. It wasn't a moral flaw. They just forgot to turn their eyes to heaven and ask the Heavenly Father, Lord, what should we do? Lord, what is the wisdom in this situation? If only they would have asked, they would have received. Wisdom and other things as well. So, beloved of God, here is the message from James today. If you want a flourishing life, James says, get wisdom. And the way to get wisdom when you lack it is simply and positively to ask God. So there you have it. I encourage you this morning, wherever you are at, with whatever wisdom you lack, to ask God. The first and essential duty of the Christian who lacks wisdom is to get down on their knees and ask the Heavenly Father above. As the Nike commercials say it, just do it. This is the message for you this morning. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Although, there's got to be a part two to this message, doesn't there? Absolutely. 
I heard a story a while back about a man during World War II, a soldier who was with his uh, brigade, with his uh, comrades out at the front lines of the battlefield. They were under heavy enemy fire at this point. He was in one bunker in one foxhole and needed to get to another one to bring some supplies to his fellow soldiers. And so as the hail of bullets is going overhead, he crawls up out of the bunker, out of this foxhole, and he runs over to the other foxhole. He dives headfirst because the bullets are coming fast and furiously. He lands in muck. It's rainy. It's dirty. It's disgusting. And his hands dig down deep into the muck. And as he's pulling himself out, his face is covered, his hands are covered. He feels something beneath his right hand. It's a chain. And he pulls the chain up. And at the end of the chain is a pendant covered in mud. And he starts rubbing the mud away from the pendant. And he sees to his great joy in this moment that it's a crucifix. And he starts rubbing the crucifix and praying very hard. Praying, oh Lord, Oh, Lord, let the gunfire stop. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And he prays harder. One minute, two minutes, three minutes goes by. And suddenly he turns in exasperation to his comrade on his right. He says, hey, man, do you know how to work this thing? (laughs) And sometimes isn't that what we want to say with our prayers to God? Lord, I have asked you for this. You say that you will give me whatever I ask. You say that if I lack wisdom, you'll give it to me generously. And then God doesn't give it to us. How do you work this thing, James? Why aren't our prayers effective? Like Elijah who says, let it rain and it rains. Let it stop raining and it doesn't stop. What on earth is going on sometimes? Indeed, that all we hear is the terrible sound of silence, the clicking, the locking, the double locking of heaven's doors, double bolted behind us. Well, sisters and brothers in Christ, What James will give us in our text is, I believe, one reason as to why sometimes when we pray to God for wisdom or when we pray to God for other things in our life, that God does not grant the request of our prayers. And I underscore one reason here, because I do not believe that James is trying to be exhaustive. You know, because there are other reasons in Scripture why God might answer, might not answer our prayers or give us the wisdom that we seek in the moment that we seek it. We see this in the book of Job. The reality is sometimes there are simply things going on up and above in the heavenly realms that we know nothing about. There are other times, as we also see in the book of Job, that God simply, he doesn't say no to us. He says, wait, time will come when I will give you the wisdom. The time will come when I will give you the insight that you long for. But that time is not yet. Sometimes, as we looked at last week, God says, wait to us, because he's trying to build in us the perfections of the character of Jesus. So I think that James is just giving us one reason here, and in the way of wisdom, which is to say, normally with wisdom, there is something you can do about it. There is a a course altering that you can engage in so as to in your power, come to a better outcome. And here's the reason I think James is telling us that sometimes we do not hear from God, or rather that God does not answer our prayers for wisdom, and perhaps other things as well. It's because of this. Simply put, it's because we're two-faced. It's because we're double-minded. Or if you need an image of this, it's because we are like that old mythological and scary-looking monster Janus. Anybody familiar with Janus 
Janus the old, I think it's a Roman god, it might be a Greek god, but Janus had one face on this side of her head, and then Janus had another face on the back side of her head. So with one part of her head, she would look that way, and then with the other part of her head, she would look in the exact opposite direction. Janus was pulled in two directions at one and the same time, Janus could focus her eyes on opposing objects that could become objects of desire at one and the same time, and so become somewhat, she was a schizophrenic creature. She was a split personality creature, and we humans can be like that. We can be two-faced. We can be double-minded, and when we are double-minded, James says, this can be a reason, a conditional reason for why God does not give us the wisdom that we seek. In what way can we be two-faced, however? Well, this is where, looking at the Greek of our text, I have found very helpful, to be quite honest with you, I have had this text memorized for about 20 years. I learned it when I was a young man. Um, Never really understood what was going on in this text until I actually looked at the Greek. The Greek happens to be very helpful, and even looking at other translations might indicate to you that there are different ways of looking at this text, which is very helpful. So let me just trace you through here and uh, expose some of the Greek, because I think it will be very helpful in understanding how James is saying we can be two-faced, like Janus, double-minded. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. The Greek there can be translated far more simply as without reproach, without reviling, without rejecting, without rebuffing. (laughs) If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all who are not reproaching him, who are not rebuffing him, who are not reviling him in some way or another. In other words, God will give you the wisdom that you seek as long as, here's the conditional, as long as you are not rejecting him at one and the same time in some other way. In what other way? The next sentence in James. When he asks, when this person asks, he must believe and not doubt. The Greek is way more forceful. It's an imperative. When you are, the one who asks must ask in faith. It's, it's in faith, en pisto, in faith, in accord with the faith, in accord with the substance of the faith, in accord, in other words, with the wisdom that God has revealed in sacred scripture already. Here's what James is saying. Yes, you can ask for God's wisdom when you lack it for the particulars of your life. Should I marry this person or should I not marry them? Should I take this job or should I not take it? But if you are reproaching what God has already revealed to you in his word, you are rebuffing him at that point in terms of his revealed word, that man, James said, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. He's like a wave on the sea who's blown and tossed by the wind. Do you see what James is saying here? This is really key. We want God's wisdom for the particulars of our life while at the same time we're rejecting God's wisdom that he has offered to us generally in his word. 
we're pulling God toward us because we want an answer about whether we should marry or not marry or whether we should take a job or not take a job, but we're pushing God away when it comes to some of his specific commands in other areas. We're pulling him, we're pushing him. That is to be like Janus. We are actually divided in ourselves. We, you know, we want a piece of the wisdom of God. We want God's wisdom piecemeal, but we don't want the whole wisdom of God. And so we are divided. We're like Janus, and think about it. We're inviting God to be as divided as we are. God, just give us the wisdom that we want from you and keep your other wisdom to yourself. Sp- become as split a personality in yourself as we are in ourselves. Become as much as schizophrenic, as Janus-like as we ourselves are. This is what we're asking God to do. Uh, To bring this down to terra firma a little bit more, perhaps um, the picture that we're having in our text is, think about it this way. It's like the child, the young child whose parents say to them, now, son or daughter, uh, you're free to play in the backyard, you're free to play in the front yard, you can play soccer, you can play hockey, you can play baseball, you can um, do whatever you like there. And in fact, there's a beautiful field, and this would be the best option of all, just across by the elementary school, across the street in front of our house, and you're free to go and play hockey there, or soccer there, or whatever. But you must not play in the street in front of our house, because it's dangerous, and we don't want you playing anything there. You have lots of freedom in other areas, but you may not do it there. Three days later, the child yells up to the balcony where his parents are sitting in the nice hot summer sun and asks for a piece of wisdom as he's standing in the street. Mom or dad, should I play hockey or soccer in the street today? That's to be double-minded. The child wants their parents' wisdom for the one thing when they're rebuffing and rejecting the parents' wisdom more generally spoken. And any sane parent at that point, unless they're not to be divided in themselves, unless they're not to prove to their children that they're just as double-minded as their kids, are going to say, pardon me, didn't I tell you in the first instance not to be in the street playing in the street? Now you get your butt out of there, and you either play in the backyard or the front yard, or in the yard across, or you're not going to play at all. Let's get the foundational thing settled, and then we can talk about other particulars. Oh, but mom or dad, can I, then can I just go play video games? No, you're not playing video games until I understand that you understand our wisdom about the street. That is kind of what's going on in our text. God will not honor our double-mindedness because for him to do so would not be good for us. James says such a man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. This is not just James, by the way. This is Scripture at large. Think about the first condition of wisdom according to the book of Proverbs, and you'll also find this in Psalms. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord has a subjective and an objective element. Subjectively, the fear of the Lord is to revere or to be in awe of God. It's to fear him as somebody who's transcendently above you. But then objectively, as professor of Old Testament Bruce Waltke says in his book of Proverbs, objectively, the fear of the Lord is to surrender oneself to the revelation of God in Scripture. 
That's the bedrock. Don't expect that you can have wisdom if you're going to ignore the revealed word of God. This is why James will say later on in James, James 3.17, wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all kind, considerate, peace-loving. Yes, of course, wisdom that comes from God is first of all those things as God has, has revealed it to us. And so if we are habitually not being kind, not being considerate, not being peace-loving, not seeking the kingdom of God, then maybe when we ask God for wisdom in the particulars of our life, he's going to say, no, 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 no. We've got to get the foundation straight first. Go back to the text in John that I read about earlier. What does Jesus say repeatedly? Ask for anything and it will be given to you. Ask for anything in my name and it will be given to you in accord with my character, in accord with the person that I am. And how do we know God's character and the person that he is? <laughs> He's revealed it to us in his word. That's how we know. It's the only way that we gain access to the truth about who God is in a specific way. Ask anything in my name and you will receive it. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The corollary to that, or the opposite of that, is cursed are those who are double-minded, for they shall not see God, and they shall not hear from him either. Now, I'm putting it in strong language, but wisdom literature does this, right? It's a general truth that we have to work out, and then nuance later. But we speak in extremes, you know, so that you, you can see the, the stream amidst the river, or you, whatever. John, in his letter, says the same thing in different language. Listen again to 1 John 3, 22 and 5, 14, while I emphasize this time his qualifiers, his conditions for receiving anything you ask. John 3, 22, yes, we will receive from him anything we ask. And then notice, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Okay, I get it, John. We'll receive anything from God that we ask, as long as we are also walking in attunement with the commands of God as they've been revealed to us. That's helpful. 1 John 5, 14, quote, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Again, okay, I get it. It's got to be according to God's will. Very good. So you see what we're being taught here? Sisters and brothers in Christ, in order to live a flourishing life, we need wisdom. In order to get wisdom that we lack, we need to ask God. But we need to ask it without being duplicitous, without being two-faced, without being double-minded, without pulling God toward us to get the particular things of our life, the particular wisdom that we seek, while at the same time pushing God away in how he has revealed himself generally. It reminds me of a story I heard about uh, probably 25 years ago or so about a pastor who had a policy with premarital couples. A couple would come into his study and they'd say, Pastor, we believe that it is God's will for us to be married and we are hoping that you will go do premarital counseling with us and we hope that you will marry us in, in due time. And the pastor 
this policy was, of course, to congratulate them and say, that's wonderful. And you remember that an engagement period is actually a time of testing the relationship. That's why you don't just get married the next day. It's not only about planning a wedding, but it's a time of testing. And so, do you mind if we test this feeling that it's God's wisdom, God's will for you to be married? And and they say, no, of course not. That's, that's what we're here for. That's what premarital counseling's about. And he says, okay, well, let me just ask you a question. Are you sleeping together? And if the couple would say, yes, we are sleeping together in a habitual, unrepentant way, um, the pastor would say, well, can we think about that? So, you believe it's God's will for you to be married. You believe that that's the wise course of action for your life, but you believe that while you're rejecting God's express will for you. So, you believe it's God's will for you to do this while you're rebuffing, reviling, and rejecting God's expressed will for you over here. Is that a good foundation to have this sort of confidence on? And the couple would ordinarily say, according to this pastor, yeah, that, you're right, that doesn't actually sound like it makes good sense. And so, the pastor said, how about we do this? It's a very grace-filled approach. And he'd say, how about we do this? How about for the next two months, you agree that you're going to seek God's face on this while being obedient? So, you're going to obey God in terms of his explicit will for your life so that you might find out his will for you in the unrevealed portion of your life. And insofar as this pastor is giving room for the weaknesses of the flesh, but he's talking about a habitual, unrepentant sort of sin and repudiation of his will, I think this pastor is right on track. I think that's precisely what James is talking about in our text. We, we want God's wisdom for the particulars of our life, but then we're rebuffing God's wisdom expressed more generally in his word. And God will not honor that as a general rule, James is saying. He might, he might still give you it, um, but we ought not expect, James says, anything from the Lord if we're living in that fashion. It's the same sort of thing, by the way, just to give one more example of this along a different kind of line, but, um, you know, we will have people who might come to us, or we might be these people ourselves who who pray to the Lord to heal a broken relationship that we have. And Lord, please bring restoration to my relationship with my spouse or a relationship with a fellow church member or my mom or dad or my sister or brother, whoever it might be, or a friend. And we pray fervently that God would restore this relationship. And at the same time, we're bitter, we're resentful, we drag old cows out of the ditch constantly, we keep a record of sins, we refuse to live in a posture of forgiveness, which is giving up the anger that we have a right to. And I don't know that God will honor that. God says, let's get back to the foundation. I told you not to play in the street. I told you to get rid of the anger. I told you to get rid of the malice, the bitterness, and likewise. And then, once you've done your part, then maybe I will move mountains in order to restore this relationship. But your responsibility, child of God, is to first and foremost heed the, that which I have expressed, because that too is my wisdom. The law. And notice, go back, James is so concerned about this. He's got a community of Christians around him who are saying they have faith, but their faith does not com 
the faith does not live itself out in working out the law. And so it's a major theme for James. We've got to do the one while also doing as seeking the other. To put this another way, instead of being double-minded, I think James is calling us this morning to do all that we can in the grace of God to seek to be single-minded, to be pure of heart, to seek ye first the kingdom and God's righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto us as well. And so I urge you all this morning, once again, you know, we're hearing talk in our day about a great reset, and maybe after a year has gone by of us struggling and straining under COVID, we need to experience a great reset ourselves, and the reset is back to the fundamentals of our faith and back to a surrender uh, where we do pray the Lord, as Jesus has taught us to pray, thy will be done, O Lord, as a first matter of business. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We need not to say uh, me first, but I am second. And so let's pray and ask God for this grace in our lives. Dear Lord, the reality about each one of us is that um, at times we can be two-faced, we can be double-minded, our motives, as James says later in the book, can be split, we ask with mixed motives, we both want your wisdom and we don't want it at one and the same time, we both want you to be close to us and don't want you to be close to us at one and the same time. Um, Lord, we believe, forgive us, help us in our unbelief, as one once said to you, we ask for this grace upon our lives, O oh Lord. We thank you that even when we do fail, you pick us up, you wipe us off, you call us to reorient, reorient ourselves toward you and to your kingdom purposes in this world. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might do it. Lord, give us the confidence to know that when we have failed, as we all do and do repeatedly, that you are a gracious God and that you don't withdraw your love as is sometimes our impulse. And when people disappoint us, we, we have an inclination to remove our love for them or to play games. Uh, we thank you that you're not a God who does that, that you don't, but you do constantly seek our flourishing and seek the best for us. So we surrender ourselves to you, O Lord, and to your grace and your love once again today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.